1: Welcome back, everyone, to the 141st episode of Power Your Parenting, Moms with Teens podcast. I'm Colleen O'Grady, the host of the show. If you are a parent of a teen, you probably spend a lot of time making sure your child is on track to go to college. But then the reality hits. OMG, I have to pay for this. Today, we're going to talk about what parents need to understand about the college planning process, how parents can save and invest for college properly, and maximize savings, and what are some of the big strategies to save big on college costs. To help us address these issues, I have invited Brad Baldrich to be our guest. Brad is a college funding specialist who has helped thousands of families plan and save for college with smart and proven strategies. To save time, money, and stress. As a financial expert, blogger, and host of the Taming the High Cost of College podcast, Brad has been sharing his college planning insights with clients, subscribers, and listeners for nearly 20 years. He teaches parents the best ways to save and pay for college, including how to find the right college, maximize financial aid and scholarships, avoid student loan debt, and make your children's college dreams come true without wiping out your finances or retirement. So welcome, Brad Baldridge.
0: Hi, it's great to be here.
1: Yes. So I always like to start with this question. Do you have kids?
0: I do. I've got uh, my oldest who just started in college and my youngest is now a freshman in high school, and I've got one in between who's a senior in high school.
1: Wow. So this subject of college funding is probably very up close and personal to you.
0: Absolutely. I've been doing the planning for 10, well, maybe probably close to 15 years now, but now it's really hitting home because I have to deal with it very specifically myself. I'm, you know, right in the middle of, you know, paying for a freshman year and visiting with a senior and trying to figure out high school for a college bound student as well. So there's you know, there's all the different aspects of early middle and late planning involved.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Great. So what do parents need to understand about the college planning process?
0: Right. I guess, first of all, it's more complicated than it used to be and more expensive than it used to be and just more work than it used to be because it's more expensive and more complex as the government adds regulations around financial aid. And as the colleges do more marketing, et cetera, et cetera, you know, it's a, it's a process. It's kind of like, you know, maybe like buying a car where if you didn't know much about cars and you was like, okay, first I have to figure out, do I want a van? Do I want a pickup truck? Do I want a four door? Does it have to go fast or slow? Well, figuring all that out for the first time with most families of, you know, do I want to, Near college, a far college, an expensive college, a very prestigious college, you know, a community college. doing that decision process, I think is a challenge for a lot of families in that they don't realize how much there is to learn and how different and varied it is. It's easy to rely on our friends or family. You know, I had a nephew that went to college two years ago, so you can just talk to talk to him about it and learn how it goes. The challenge, of course, is most of the time families are different enough that what you learn there may not be appropriate for what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Now, again, that as an example, yeah, you know, right. Like a lot of a lot of families will say, well, my brother-in-law didn't qualify for financial aid, so I won't either, which could be completely untrue. Unless, again, the schools you're looking at and the incomes and everything is very similar, which is not likely, but and that's where people don't understand, you know, how it's going to work for them specifically and don't realize that it could be drastically different than what they hear.
1: Yeah. So how do parents stay ahead of the process and avoid panic? And then if some parents have kind of put it off and are just realizing about what's coming in front of them, what do they do?
0: Right. Yeah. So there's a kind of a transition from what I call early stage planning to late stage planning. So early stage planning starts at you know pregnancy or the thought that hey we're going to have kids someday and ends around the beginning of high school. So at that point, you know, again, you have children, you're saying college may be in our future. But again, a typical two-year-old, you're like, I think they're going to college, but it's way too soon to have any detail, of course. And you could be completely wrong. As you start rolling into high school, it becomes much clearer what you know what kind of academics the student has and and uh, Certainly as they go through high school, it becomes even clearer. Yeah. So in the early stage, parents can just kind of say, well, college is in our future. Should we, you know, set up a savings plan? Should we buy a smaller house so that we can afford more money for college? Those types of planning issues. Now, once you roll into what I call late stage planning, now you're kind of there. Now you're saying, well, we got to visit colleges. We got to figure out this college testing. We've got all the different pieces of college planning. And you're gonna to have to do it whether you had a wonderful savings plan and you have a big pile of money, or whether you've not even thought about it and you have no money set aside. Either way, when you get to late stage planning, that's that extra layer of again, visits and figuring out what, what you want to be when you grow up. And there's things that the student needs to do, things that parents need to do, and then the things that you're going to do together potentially. Now, if you met the second part of that question was, well, what happens if you're running late? Well. Yeah, and I work with a lot of families where we are, in some cases, kind of doing what I would call damage control. The whole college planning process, you know, I like to say that you pay for college with money, for sure, but not only that, but also time and stress. And when you roll into the process late, now the time and stress part of it is a big factor of well, we could do better on the testing, but we don't have time and we don't want to stress out the student to have to study and take the test again. So we're just going to have to live with the scores we have. Or we don't have time to visit 10 schools, we're just gonna have to visit two and pick from those two or use that as the basis of our decisions. So if you're rolling in late, then it again becomes, well, how do we best use our time? What's the, you know, is it visits? Is it Saving and investing. Should the student, you know, look for scholarships, or should they go work and make ten dollars an hour somewhere and save that money for college? Which one has a more likely payoff? Because maybe we don't have time for both anymore. So it's a lot of comparing your options and picking the one that makes the most sense. And of course, it's figuring out what those options are to begin with.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. I'm a therapist, and so I see lots of different scenarios. One of the scenarios that I see often are that parents get divorced Mm -hmm. and then it's, it becomes a big mess about one of the parents is just not going to pay for it. And then the other parent who has not been working is trying to figure out, Oh my gosh, how am I going to pay for this? Have you come up with those
0: scenarios? Absolutely. So yeah, I call it, I call it one parent is holding the college bag. Um, and again, in the, in the challenging divorces where there's a lot of, uh, I don't know how you'd call it, bad blood or, you know, they're just not getting along very well. College is often a bargaining chip or a leverage point, and it gets to be, which makes it worse. Now, on the flip side, it doesn't have to be that way. I've had many divorcing couples work with me and say, you know, it, this is not a great situation, but let's do the best we can and let's make lemonade out of lemons here. And there actually is a couple benefits, you know, again, now you have two different tax returns and two different incomes, and you might be able to, again, get a little bit of benefit out of the divorce um, with some planning. Um, but getting back to where it's a challenge, if you're the spouse holding the college bag, that just means you, have you know, you've got a plan with that, unknown variable it's like well maybe dad will help or maybe mom will help but we can't count on it so we've got to put the plan together um assuming we won't get any help and then if we get some help and you know i always encourage families to continue to ask and sometimes it has to be kind of change the tact of it you're not mom's not asking for help the student is asking for help yeah that's good um because that's the technically that's, you know, that is true, right? I mean, it's the student that needs to get to college and most parents will at least consider helping where they can. But because especially if the divorce is recent, the the shock of going from one household to two really stresses out the, the financial situation as well, where you go from one household to two and all those expenses go up, you know, two rents and Et cetera, et cetera. And all of a sudden, there really isn't that much leftover cash flow for college, like there would have been had the divorce not happened. So that yeah. is an additional layer of complexity.
1: Yeah. I would think that working with someone like you in that situation would be helpful. Like you'd be a neutral party, mm-hmm. it may not be that fun for you, but I would think it
0: would be. Yes. Yeah. And again, and I have worked with certainly I've worked with a lot of divorced moms. And a few divorced dads, you know, where the divorce is ancient history and we're just planning and it just happens to be a one parent household. Um, but I've also done planning with parents that are still together in the midst of divorce and they haven't actually finalized the divorce yet. So at that point, there's opportunities of who's going to have the college savings. Who's, you know, when it's all, when the dust settles, who's going to have the house and who's going to have the college savings and who's going to have, this retirement plan and this, you know, this pile of cash or whatever it is. And there's an opportunity there around college where who has, what could make a difference when it comes to things like financial aid and working with the schools and that type of thing. Now, as a planner, that makes sense and so forth, but it's at a time that is so emotionally charged that often, even if it does make sense, it isn't going to happen because people are, not willing to do that.
1: So how can parents save and invest for college properly and maximize savings?
0: Yeah, so I think that's a big challenge. Again, if you look at early stage, you've got a two-year-old or a four-year-old. A lot of times at that time with daycare and younger families, there is no cash flow for college. We can't say, well, I'm going to put you know 500 a month away for college or whatever it might be. So you, what you can do instead though, is to just, again, plan your life around this future obligation. That's quite expensive. So I think what I see happen, you know, again, talking to the younger families, I see parents of, you know, 17 year olds and they've got a a decent income, but they've learned how to spend every penny they earn.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So then, college comes along, and they say, "Oh, we need an extra thousand a month to make college work. Or we need an extra, you know, five hundred a month to make college work, or sometimes really big numbers. We need an extra three thousand a month to make college work." And they're just shocked, and they're like, "Well, there's no way, you know, we only earn one hundred eighty thousand dollars a year. There's no way that we can afford to pay for college." And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, "Okay, well, the last person I talked to earned 120 so you earn sixty thousand a year more than the last one. So you should easily be able to come up with five thousand dollars. You know that's the math. But the reality of it is, what at any income, our lifestyle lifestyle expands to kind of absorb most of that income. So we you know we move to a nicer neighborhood. We buy nicer cars more often. The kids get involved in more expensive sports or, or you know club teams or that type of stuff. Again, that's kind of the reality of it is. I've seen families that, you know, 75000 save and do well on college. And I've seen families earning hundreds of thousands claim that there's just no way they could afford to pay for college.
1: Yeah. So what are some of your strategies to save big on
0: college costs? Right. So college is very expensive, especially the sticker price, right? So a lot of, a lot of the colleges now have just crossed $80,000 for one year. Wow. Wow. And that's tuition, room and board, books, travel, you know, kind of the whole cost, um, which is a technical term, a cost of attendance. It's, you know, that's every college publishes that number. But the reality is that a lot of people don't pay that price. We've all heard of scholarships, and we know that, especially the private schools give out scholarships. And now it's to the tune of, a third or half off at many colleges where it's not 80, it's just 40. And you say, well, wow, that's a great, you know, that's a wonderful savings, but 40 of course is still very expensive. right? And your local state schools might be between 20, 25, 30 is typical all in. And occasionally there's that home run, right? Where the private school comes in at a lower cost than the state school, or you get a scholarship or whatever it might be. So I've seen families go, you know, Obviously get the full rides and that type of thing for various reasons and pay zero or essentially zero all the way up to families that, uh, you know, pay f- nearly full sticker price. And they, they just have a large college budget and they've got, you know, and again, they're lucky enough to ha- or work hard enough to have the means to just write the check because they want to.
1: So what are some of the do's and don'ts of financial aid?
0: I think the biggest one is don't assume that you will or will not qualify because there's a lot of variables that people don't understand. One of them being the price of the school. So if you're going to a very expensive school, you're more likely to qualify for aid. And if you're going to a lower cost school, you're less likely. It's also based on income and assets of mom and dad and income and assets of the student. Now, most of the time, you know, the typical teenager rolling out of high school and going into college, their income and assets are essentially zero. Um, <laughs> but, it, it, you know, the, the formulas are you also used for the returning adult that might have a career already. So that's why it's included. Um, so you look at the income and assets of the parent and the student, and then the other big factor is the number of students you have in school. So the way the rules are now, and this is slated to potentially change. And we're kind of waiting to see what this really means. But if you had multiple, you know, like my my situation, I have a freshman in college and a senior in high school. Well, next year, I'm going to have a sophomore and a freshman in college. Well, I get to divide by two, essentially what the parent contribution is. So it makes me more likely to qualify for aid. So I've seen situations where families earning three or $400,000 actually qualify. And I've seen situations where families earning 75000 85000 not qualify. Again, because of the price of the schools, the number of students they have in school, um, and a lot of other mitigating factors. So I think that's the biggest one is understanding need-based aid. And then on the flip side, it's merit aid. There's a lot of schools out there that offer scholarships to reduce the overall cost. And again, the private schools are well-known, but a lot of state schools are getting into the game now, especially for out-of-state kids. So like University of Alabama is aggressively recruiting strong students. If you had perfect grades and test scores, I believe it's a full ride. Now, again, that's pretty high standard. Not a lot of people would qualify for that. But if you just have reasonably strong scores and decent grades, you know, like a 3.5 GPA and a 32 on your ACT, it can make going to Alabama lower than your local state school. Mm. Um, And if you live in Alabama, well, then there's also scholarships for that type of student. The scholarships aren't as big because the price tag is a lot less because you get the in-state price. But either way, it makes Alabama a very cost competitive place to go. For the strong academic student and they're doing it on purpose. They're trying to attract that strong student um, and they're willing to essentially pay for them by giving them steep discounts.
1: Yeah. Um, Any other do's and don'ts of financial aid?
0: I guess making sure that you, you know, understand the process you can work hard and really understand how financial aid is going to work for you. you Like on my website, we have a calculator that will help you figure out if you're going to qualify for need-based aid and you can do that calculation ahead of time, you know, long before you actually apply to the schools and get a feel for, will I qualify for need-based aid. Will I qualify for merit aid? So you can actually figure out what the price of a college will be, you know, before you apply. Now, the typical process and where families kind of trip themselves up is they if you talk to a typical college and you ask, Well, how well you know, what does it cost to go here? And they give you the sticker price, you say, Yeah, but nobody pays sticker, we know that. So what it what it will cost me for real? Well, they don't know because they don't know your financial situation. And and so their easy answer is, well, go ahead, go through the, you know, apply fill out all the financial aid forms. And then at the end of the process, we'll give you the actual price. The problem is a lot of parents look, see those prices and they say, well, if I'd have known it would have been this, we would have never applied. Yeah. And the challenge there is you can figure it out. It just takes some time and effort. And that's where again, starting early is an important part of the process.
1: that's good advice. Do you have any other tips in terms of finding scholarships?
0: Yeah, so scholarships, there's two major categories of scholarships. There's what we would call institutional scholarships. So those are the scholarships we get from the colleges themselves. And any school you're attending, if they offer you a scholarship, by all means, take it, right? I mean, that's pretty obvious. Now... The plan, again, as I mentioned earlier, is that you can figure out what a college will cost and you can estimate their scholarships. So the goal would be to find colleges that will actually give you scholarships and apply to them on purpose. There's some colleges out there where you're not going to necessarily qualify for scholarships and other schools where you will. And if you know that up front, you can just say, well, I'm going to concentrate on the ones that will give me scholarships, especially if you're concerned about overall price. But then there's a whole second batch of scholarships is kind of what people think about where you go to the scholarship websites or other places. And, you know, the local Kiwanas or Rotary Club is offering scholarships and a couple of businesses in town are offering scholarships. Then Coca-Cola and Buick and some there's these great big scholarships out there and everything in between. So people talk about, well, I'm going to chase down a bunch of scholarships. Now, the reality is a lot of people talk about it. Very few people actually do it Mm. because it's a lot of work um, when we start talking about the outside scholarships. So on my website, we've got scholarship Guide for busy parents that kind of walks you through what the options are. But in the end, I think a lot of families need to make that decision of, well, we're just going to do the the easy scholarships. We're certainly going to look at the scholarships the schools were attending Maybe we'll look at the high school where the student is graduating from and that's it. And if we don't find any, we don't find any, but that's what we've got the time to do. Yeah. Now on the flip side, I've had a student a few years ago, they applied to 41 scholarships. He won seven of them. Total value was $39,000, which at the time covered two years at the state school. Wow. And Of course, that again, you think about that, though, if you how long does it take to find 41 scholarships that you could qualify for and then how many how long to apply? You know, this isn't something that he sat down one Sunday afternoon and knocked out his scholarships. He worked many, many Sunday afternoons and his parents helped. Now, hopefully they didn't write the essays and that type of thing, but they certainly, you know, maybe coordinated and kept track of deadlines and helped with getting, you know, Some of them are still paper sometimes or maintaining the websites and tracking it all. Because when you get to that volume, there's a lot of, you know, keeping track of what you have and haven't done. And, you know, the student maybe had two or three different essays and he'd have to tweak the essay depending on the goal of the scholarship. And again, a lot of work and again, again, a great payoff, you know, $39,000 on an hourly basis. it probably was still a great payoff. But like I said, most families aren't going to do that. And by the time they realize that 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 opportunity even exists, they're up against a lot of deadlines and it just doesn't happen. Another common thing is parents say, well, they talk to their students and say, well, you're in charge of scholarships. You need to go find scholarships. (laughs) And a student says, okay, that makes sense. And then they work on it on one Sunday afternoon. They're overwhelmed. They don't know what to do. And then prom comes along and then their AP tests are coming a lot here and there. And and then they've got important this and important that. And it's not that they intended to not do scholarships. It's the limited amount of time they were able to dedicate it to. It was wasted because they didn't, they were so overwhelmed that they didn't even know where to start. So again, if you think you're going to work hard on scholarships, it's important that the parents potentially get involved. I mean, you're asking a 17-year-old to raise thousands of dollars. It is yeah. way out of their comfort zone. It's way out of their you know typical knowledge of what to do or where to start. Mm-hmm. And I think if the parents jump in there with the student, they'll realize that it's probably the same for them as they don't really understand it. And they don't know where to start either, <laughs> but they might have the ability to figure it out, to read the book or to, you know, do the work to, you know, get off the dime and actually get to work on it.
1: So what makes it so hard?
0: Again, I think it's finding, it's the whole process of finding scholarships and that type of thing. So again, as an example, if you look at your local high school, that's easy because a lot of times they'll, you know, the custard stand across the street from the high school that serves ice cream to to the high school students, you know, all day, every day and makes, you know, they have some goodwill to the high school kids. So they decide to give a thousand dollar scholarship and they put some sort of criteria on. and they go put it in the, uh, on the colleges or on the uh, high school's website or whatever. So it's easy to find, mm-hmm. you just talk with the school counselor or you go to the website, you pay attention to the announcements and that type of thing. But as an example, in the in the scholarship program, There's a scholarship for archery kids um, in Massachusetts. Now, if you happen to be an archer, you start with a blank slate and say, well, I like archery. There could be scholarships about archery. Well, how do I find them? So you start doing Google searches or you go to the websites and you search and you search and you search and and maybe you find some, maybe you don't. (laughs) And then you say, "Okay, well, that was good. I also like computer games. And then you start over, right? don't know. I got to dig and dig and dig. And there are scholarships for most things. Sometimes it's a one $500 scholarship that's not, you're not likely to win because it's based on grades or other criteria. All of a sudden you say, well, I don't quite qualify. Uh, if you look at like the Coca-Cola scholars, that's a scholarship that's completely based on merit. So they don't look at your need at all. So, What your income and assets that does not apply. It's completely based on merit. And they give, I think it's 50 awards of $20,000. So it's a lot of money they give away, but they also get 90,000 applications from across the country. Mm. Wow. So if you figure out the odds there is that's a well-publicized, well-known scholarship. And of course, you've got to be a rock star to win because your competition is stiff. Yeah. Whereas the again the local scholarship maybe you it's only applicable to the kids that go to this particular high school, so it narrows the field a lot and i've given I gave a presentation a couple of years ago at a high school, and the counselor was in the room so i when the scholarship slides were coming up we we talked a little bit about it. I asked the counselor if there's any scholarships that are underutilized, and the counselor said. Yeah, last year we had four applicants for four awards for the scholarship that's directed towards athletes. Huh. So you, those are pretty good odds, right? Four yeah. applicants, four awards. Yeah. Huh. Now, that was said in a room of 100 parents. So the next year, I'm sure it wasn't that, you know, that good. But right. after a couple of years, you know, people start, you know, the, the extra effort involved and the discipline to actually get it done is one big challenge. And then finding some stuff that you qualify for. So if you have a student that's unique and does a lot of things at a high level, you know, if you're an ice skater and you complete the Olympics, well, you've got a good shot at scholarships. You probably don't need scholarships, but to, you know, that's kind of the point, right? If you're, right. if you play in the band, well, like, guess what? There's 50 people or hundred kids in band in every high school across the country, yes, there is things that are targeted to ban, but there's also a lot of qualified kids. Yeah. If you have a black belt in judo or taekwondo, well, okay. That's something unique. Let's go check that out. If you happen to be, you know, some ethnicity, Armenian, or my family's Hungarian. Um, I, we, we've been searching for scholarships for Hungarian. Kids. Um, it's hard because when you do that search, you actually read about scholarships for actual Hungarians that want to come here from Hungary and study in the United States. And they're, they're looking for scholarships. Wow. So it makes the search, you know, again, so that's the challenge, right? The, yeah. the different opportunities around scholarships. But again, circling back around to the obvious place to get scholarships, though, is the colleges you're attending. Yeah. And that's the one that and they're also the most by far the most substantial and the highest dollar value. And, mm-hmm. you know, but they're not well, technically they're not scholarships either. The, a lot of the colleges are essentially saying, here's your bill for fifty thousand dollars, but we just knocked twenty thousand off. Right. They don't have a pot of money. They're not sending you a check and then you send it back. They're just giving you a discount. Yeah. Um, but those scholarships, again, are there's a finite places to look and it's a little easier to to get them done. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, I really liked what you said because I have seen it play out or heard it play out a million times, which is if you wanna go to that college, then you need to find some financial aid, putting all of that on the team. And that just gets lost. So I really like uh, telling the parents, maybe it's a joint venture here.
0: Yes, absolutely. I mean, there's, you know, it's that one in a hundred kid or the one in 50 kid that will say, okay, college is on me and I got to get out there and I got to figure it out. And I got to either work or find scholarships or both or whatever. And they just take it upon themselves and they work hard. Mm -hmm. But those kids are so rare that if you go to Amazon, they literally write the book, you know, so there is the scholarship winner, right? There's a couple, probably five or six books written by teens that said, that essentially say, hey, I want a bunch of scholarships, you can do it too. Mm. And theoretically, yes, that's true. But again, that's not reality.
1: Yeah, no, I love it. I, I see it. So how do you pay for college with tax savings?
0: All right. So one of the benefits of college is that the government finds it important that kids go to college. So they, they're offering, as an example, there's the uh, opportunity tax credit, which is a twenty five hundred dollars credit to parents, typically, if you pay four thousand dollars towards school that particular year. So a lot of families are going to get a tax credit. Now some families are it actually phases out. If you're married, it phases out between one hundred and sixty and one hundred and eighty thousand of income. Mm. So I've worked with families that are kind of on the line where it's like, okay, we need to pay attention to this. Maybe if we put a little more in your 401k, that'll keep you under the 160 so that you get the full credit Mm -hmm. or if they're business owners or we have ways of kind of managing their income where we make sure that happens. Other times, you know, we focus on a particular year and say, well, this is the year you have three in school. So we have three tax credits this year. So we want to really make sure this is the year if of all the years that we actually stay under the line. Um, And to do it, we might have to blow up the year before or the year after because we're shifting income or doing things. Um, But again, just understanding that 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 credit is available. There's also ways to save for college that can save on taxes. Student loan interest is tax deductible. So there's lots of, again, tax benefits around college. As the government tries to help with the overwhelming cost of college.
1: Yeah. Do you have any advice around student loans?
0: Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of politics around student loans these days, of course, around the forgiveness. But student loans are a tool for a lot of families that, you know, again, if you use them wisely, it makes a lot of sense. And I think that the challenge comes in of, You know, borrowing a little bit of money to go to a go to the low cost school, but you take a you know again a a lower income family or middle income family that just hasn't doesn't have a lot of college savings. The only way that they may be able to get to college is any college is to take out some loans. Now, if you do that reasonably, I think it's a small price to pay, especially if you're moving into a career. You know, I give always give the example of well, there's two ways you could get a nursing degree. One is you could go get your lowest level nursing degree and then go to work and make $20 an hour somewhere and work and go to school part time and then get your two year degree and then work and go to school part time. And after eight years, you might have your bachelor in nursing. Or you could borrow what it takes to go get your nursing degree and again, try and make it reasonable so you're not completely buried in debt knock it out in four years, and then go to work as a nurse, full fledged, starting at whatever that would be, you know, starting at $40 an hour, and then pick up a swing shift here and there, where they pay you overtime and extra, you know, extra because it's a night shift and that kind of stuff, and pay off the loans in a year or two. Yeah. Um, and then you're, you're much further along, right? You're into your career, et cetera, et cetera. And it's easy to pay off the loans at that higher income if you manage your lifestyle, if you still live like a college student, right? In the previous example, for eight years, you're living like a college student, right? You're living low cost. You've got roommates or living at home or you're doing whatever it is that you need to do to keep your costs really low. Most college graduates, the day they graduate is, oh, I'm a graduate now. I deserve an apartment by myself. I deserve a new car. I deserve some furniture. I deserve and they instantly, again, expand their lifestyle to spend every penny that they are earning. Right. And then those loans are a burden. Whereas if yeah. they decide, said, well, I got to continue to live like a college student for a couple of years and pay off, you know, continue to live at home with your parents or live in a live on a campus somewhere where you have, you know, grad school roommates or that type of thing where you keep your costs low, then it's easy to pay off the loans. But again, most people don't think th- think it through as well as they could.
1: Yeah. Now that's some good wisdom right there. So how do you find schools that are better fit and better value?
0: Yes, that's the process. So I encourage families to work hard on this in their junior year. I think the junior year is kind of your time to explore, to visit colleges. And then it's really trying to figure out, well, what do, what do you mean by value? I mean, there's these various... You know, rankings and, you know, you can go to U.S. News and World Reports and they're going to say that school is 22 spots better than this school. Which is highly irrelevant to the typical teenager, because their criteria probably aren't your criteria. You know, so you're trying to figure out what is a good fit for your student. And that is a completely different process than, oh, let's find the one with the highest rank or whatever it might be. And to do that, you've got to kick some tires, maybe go visit. You know, the students got to figure out what they want to be when they grow up. There's a lot of soul searching and planning and trying to figure it all out. And I think in a lot of cases, consultants out there that might be worthwhile, to, you know, talking with people that have gone before. There's lots of different ways, you know, to find a trusted advisor, whether it's your school counselor or a teacher. Or, again, someone that can spend a little time with the student. I think, uh, again, in your your line of work, I'm sure you've seen where this student just can't take advice from a parent because they're the parent for no other reason. It's like, if it comes out of mom's mouth, it just can't be right. Right. Because mm-hmm. it's just kind of a part of growing up, right? We've all been there. So finding someone else maybe that can talk with the student and, you know, learn a little bit more. And of course, there's the experts out there now that I think that's a big change too. There are Uh, consultants and coaches out there that will help students figure out what they want to be when they grow up, help them choose majors, help them do essays, help them, you know, test prep, all the different aspects. You know, it's not unusual for a family to spend money and say, well, I don't know how to play the piano. My student would like to learn to play the piano. I guess I'm going to have to hire a piano teacher. I mean, there's, it's just obvious, right? Yeah. Well, I don't know how to pick a major and they don't know how to pick a major or a career Maybe we should hire a someone that helps people do career planning, and again, yeah. we've heard about that, right? It's common in the 40 year old changing careers has access to various job placement type help um, and it's becoming more common now for the 17 year old to you know how to figure out, and again, it's not something I do, but I think it has its place yeah I in do many too. regards. <laughs> Again, maybe you don't need to spend the money. You can use some of the software. There's all kinds of different ways to figure out what, where, what your goals are and where you're going, and then that will help you determine what value is when you're looking at a college.
1: Yeah, that's some good because wisdom. If
0: you're, if you're looking at, I need these, you know, there's, there's uh, colleges and career paths out there where it's very obvious. If you go to school and you become an, to study elementary education, it's pretty clear what your job is going to be. Now, if you go study English, and you like to write, it is not clear what your job is going to be. There, you might say, I'm interested in an industry, you know, I like sports. So I'm going to look at, I want to do something in sports, that sounds like fun. And what are my skills? Well, I'm a math guy. Okay, well, do you want, you know, and again, a lot of kids are going to say, "I like sports, I like playing sports, but I, there's no way I'm a professional athlete. I just want to get involved in the sports industry. And if you look at a typical sports team, there's you know a handful on the, on the field, and there's a whole bunch of people on the sidelines of various careers. and then there's a whole back office. And, you know so you could be an agent, you could be a writer, you could be all those types of things. So now you're saying, well, let's look at my skills. And my, you know, what I'm good at, so to speak, and how I can apply that to the sports industry. And that might help me pick a career path. Again, I want to be a writer and i want to be involved in sports. Well, are there sports writing programs in English departments? I, there could be. I don't know. Um, where instead of just saying I'm just going to be an English major, you're going to say, well, I'm going to find a school that has an English major, but they also have some sort of sports minor or sports focus that i can put the two together because that's that will help me in my path but until you understand you know where you're going and what you want to do you know so there's that challenge of engineers and accountants and teachers you know you take this degree and you do that job there's a whole bunch of jobs where any degree will do or a couple different paths to that type of job so Separating major from career and understanding that there's a difference is another important Mm -hmm. um, piece of the puzzle. And then when you're looking at the colleges, you know, ask some questions and try and dive deeper as far as is it near or far, big or small, big classes, small classes. You know, if you're undecided, maybe you need to find a school that has lots of majors so that, you know, whatever you ultimately decide on, it's available. Yeah. You can't go to the engineering school and then say, well, I don't want to be an engineer. Now, what do I do? Right. Um, so there's all kinds of criteria. And that's the point of it is it's a lot of work to you know, spend some time kicking the tires and figuring it out. And then the overlay of how are we going to pay for it and all that other stuff, you know, yeah. kind of a separate process going on in parallel mm-hmm. of um, will I get scholarships at this type of school? And can we afford it, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah.
1: We're going to wind down quickly, but one thing that I have noticed, so I live in Texas and I'm sure probably every state has some version of this, but you can put money into a a college fund that you're saving money for like Texas state schools. Mm -hmm. And then whatever high school these kids are going to, they, you know, want them to, the college counselors are saying, well, why don't you apply to, you know, 10, 15 schools? And then they're encouraged to apply to schools out of state. And mm-hmm. then I see over and over and over again, like the conflict, because mom and dad thought they, they have college paid for. And now the kid wants to go out of state. I think you're sharing lots of really good information because it can, the whole issue around colleges can just be a breeding ground for drama between parents and kids.
0: Absolutely, yes. I'm sure you've seen this too, where it's a very emotional decision. You know, nothing's too good for my kid. Yeah, is a common refrain, right? Yeah, and it's easy to say that when you're saying, "Well, should I buy the $800 phone or the $1,000 phone?" Well, yeah, if you quote unquote waste $200, yeah, okay, no big deal. When you get to college, you just can't have that attitude because. The top prices are so huge that it could be just financially devastating either to mom and dad because they, they make it happen at their own peril or they allow their student to borrow a bunch of money. I think that's another important thing to realize is that most students can only borrow thirty dollars or $40,000 in their own name by themselves. Mm-hmm. After that, mom and dad are signing or co-signing the loans. Oh, okay. So they're the adult in the room, and they're the ones that are allowing that $100,000 or $150,000 loan mess. And again, they're also on the hook for a good chunk of it. Absolutely. I think there needs to be a lot of frank discussion around, you know, the reality of college is it's not which college that matters. It's what you do when you're there for most kids. Yeah. hmm Because there's opportunity everywhere. You just have to look for it and take advantage of it.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, Brad, you have shared some great information for these parents. So I really appreciate it.
0: You're welcome. And
1: sounds like your website has a lot of good information on it.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. If you go to tamingthehighcostofcollege.com, I've got a podcast where we talk a lot about all these topics that we've been kind of touching on. There's calculators for financial aid, the scholarship guide for busy parents is there. Um, There's a resources tab that has a lot of the key stuff and then obviously blog articles and all kinds of stuff, but that's our, you know, that's the website's focus is late stage college planning. How do you make it all come together?
1: Okay, great. Are you on social media?
0: I am a bit, um, but not as much as most people are, so (laughs) I do do a little bit of Facebook, but if you really want to reach out, I think through the website is probably the best way to get a hold of me right now.
1: Okay. Well, thank you so much for your time.
0: All right. Well, thank you.
1: Okay. This concludes this week's episode of Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. If this podcast has been helpful, I would absolutely love it if you could go to Apple Podcasts and give Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast a five star review. This makes it easier for other moms like you to find the support and encouragement they need. Also, my best-selling and award-winning book, Dial Down the Drama, Reducing Conflict, Reconnecting with Your Teenage Daughter, A Guide for Mothers Everywhere, you can find that and order it online at Amazon and Barnes & Noble. And you can always find other great resources and contact me at ColleenOGrady.com, two L's and two E's.